This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Custom Inc. is an awesome way to recognize employees, thank customers, and outfit your teams with their favorite products and brands customized with your logo. CustomInc.com lets you make your mark on water bottles, backpacks, polos, jackets, and a ton more. Custom Inc. is your go-to custom gear partner with great customer service, quality products, and all-in pricing along with personalized help when you need it and an easy-to-use website when you don't. Oh yeah, and everything is 100% satisfaction guaranteed. Check out what we can do for your business at CustomInc.com. A dramatic pause says something without saying anything at all. Feet deserve a go-to like that. Like Hey Dude Shoes. Light, comfy, good to go to. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Everybody and welcome to Fruit Loop Season Three, Episode Seven. Thank you so much for listening to us. Uh, okay, so before we do anything, all right, now stop what you're doing because I'm about to ruin the hits and the pods that you're used to, and that's that. And here's why: uh, this is part two <laughs> of our two-parter on Sister Credonia Merwinde. Um, so uh, turn off your podcast if you haven't heard that first part. Anyway. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that we don't hear or know much about. Now, contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are white dudes. What? Get out of here. There are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color, and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because the news is racist. 
allegedly. And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy. I'm Beth. We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, Mm -hmm. the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294, and we may feature it on a future episode. Also, our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod, and our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. And if you're not on Facebook, you can join the discussion on Twitter or Instagram by using the hashtag Fruit Loops Pod Discussion. That's right. And if you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash app, which you can download to your phone, or you can find online at cash.me forward slash dollar dot sign Fruit Loops Pod. They're not a sponsor, by the way. It just helped. Or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page. We also have some merch for sale on our website at Fruit Loops Pod forward slash merch. If you can't help monetarily, no problemo. You can always give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And this is very important. Be sure to share our show with your friends. Yeah. So who are we talking about today, Beth? We are talking about Sister Credonia Merwinde. And as you said, it's a two-parter. So uh, if you haven't listened to part one, go on back and listen to that. And then we'll meet you right back here. That's right. I was wondering, is anybody going to talk about how the name Merwinde kind of sounds like murder? Does It, it hmm. just looks, looks like the word murder on my page. <laughs> It doesn't sound like it, but it looks like it. Merwinde, murder. Sister Credonia, murder. Mur- yeah, murder. Uh-huh. So anyway, um, before we get into the story, how you doing? I'm good. Uh, nothing to report, which is probably good. Mm-hmm. Nothing that spectacular going on. So uh, just working on the podcast and working on work and, you know, that kind of thing. How about you? Uh, let's see. Nothing too exciting to report. Um, I am enjoying, um, we'll talk about it at the end of the show, but Mindhunter, I just turned it off before when I was like <laughs> two minutes and then I'm ready to do a podcast, <laughs> <laughs> but all is well, all yeah, is well. Good, so good, good. yeah, so now we are going to dive into our mailbag and look at some listener letters. Well, hello, angels. Thank you. Hello. I was, by the way, I was practicing my, just checking the soundboard before we started, and I had uh-huh. a K-pop air horn too high, <laughs> and I put it on, <laughs> and my son, like, busted out of his bed from his sleep, oh, and was no. like, what was that? <laughs> I think my husband put him back to bed, but anyway. Whoopsies. <laughs> so what do we got? Yeah. <laughs> so, well, we got a really, really nice letter from Paul on Facebook. Hmm. Uh, so I'm going to read it. It's kind of long, so bear with me. He said, hi, Wendy and Beth. I'm loving your podcast. It was recommended by fans of All Killa No Filla. Two UK Ooh. women who are stand-up comedians and have a serious interest in serial killers. Myself, I like the filla more than the killa, and I feel a bit the same <laughs> about your podcast. I love Culture Corner and hearing about your lives and your take on the culture of media in general, as well as related to the killing. I'm a 46-year-old white Englishman 
with an Irish passport living in Luxembourg, which prompted me today to write, first of all, to say how great you both are and thank you. Also, I wanted to mention a little story about African attitudes to U.S. POCs from my time living in Rome, Italy in the 1990s. I had a lot of friends from Cameroon and Senegal, and a couple of them would always diss black people from the U.S. saying, we sold them as slaves. I was a bit shocked to hear that at first. Anyway, one time I was in the center of the city and I met a group of U.S. students, all young black women from Alabama, who were on some kind of Catholic choir tour of Europe. They'd only seen tourist stores in Venice and Florence, so I took them on a shopping tour, and we were having a great time when I asked if they'd like to go and meet some of my friends from Cameroon and Senegal. They were really up for that, but there was one thing that really freaked them out. This was 1993 or something, and not so many people spoke English back then. My friends spoke French and Italian, plus their local African languages, and genuinely no English, except, hey, baby, and come here, baby. (laughs) (laughs) The students from Alabama thought this was funny, but also the craziest thing ever. I remember one of them saying, they're brothers, but they can't speak English. That's crazy. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) Anyway, someone put some music on and dancing proved to be an international language. And it turned out those African guys really loved Americans after all. (laughs) I thought that was a really great story. Yeah. Thank you, Paul. That was really sweet. Yeah. Thank you, Paul. And uh, you know what? Hip-hop air horns to you, Brother Paul. Yeah, big hip-hop air horns to you. There we go. All right. Um, Paul, no, you come here, baby. (laughs) (laughs) We really, really appreciate you reaching out to us, Ivory King. (laughs) 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 And as always, thank you to all of our patrons and Patreons. I hope you like these shout-outs, but I know (laughs) you know where to find me if you don't. So here I go. Ashley Michelle, what the hell? <laughs> Wade Big Airliner, minor. Ooh, we, the Blur 3. Mercedes, we fly high. No lie, you know this. Roland, that's her last name. <laughs> Rodrigo Nicholas, Aaliyah, Anna, Anna, fabulous Anna, Anna, Nicole, you're so outrageous. And Mean Green Marlene, Khadija, baby, baby, I need you. Elsa, yes, <laughs> I do want to build a snowman. Oh, yay. We got love from Jidbay and Carolyn. You know how we be. Monica. Oh, Lord. Ward. To Antoinette Bruglio. Let's call Coolio. Kay Hamilton, son of a whore and a Scotsman. Probably not, but I hope you like this. Uh, <laughs> Valerie. Come sail away. Come sail away. Come sail away. Callaway. Angel. Hints. Hints. Baby. Took all. Took all. Donisa, no thanks, Polisa, Harriet, Anthony Puente, ooh, your scent is so fuerte, yummy, AJ, the King LeBron James, and Connie, oh, snow. So, uh, thank you all very much for supporting our show. Yeah, thank you. Uh, We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to get back into the story when we come back. We would like to invite any listeners who have a business to advertise to do it with us. For more information, please email us at fruitloopspod at gmail.com or check out our website at fruitloopspod.com. Okay. So um, in part one, we talked about Credonia's early life in Uganda, how the cult started and her relationship with Joseph Kibuteri. 
we dipped our toes into the timeline that was full of fuckery. <laughs> and in part two, the fuckery continues. So, <clears throat> welcome to Culture Corner with Wendy and Beth. Um, I personally was very curious about like race in Uganda. Um, it, you know, how does racism in an African country manifest itself? Um, newsflash, it's everywhere around the world. In <laughs> Uganda, there is an element of white supremacy given the history of the British slave trade. Um, and then there's also racism against um, Asian and South Asian people in Uganda who were um, ultimately expelled from the country by Idi Amin. We mentioned him earlier. Shout out to Forrest Whitaker in The Last King of Scotland. India refused to accept those who were expelled. Um, so these people were, were like, had nowhere to go. Uh. Even today, though, um, Asians and South Asians are marginalized in Uganda. Um, racism involves a group of, and I just wanted to define these terms. Racism involves a group of people having power to carry out discrimination through um, institutional policies and practices for society and by shaping the cultural beliefs and values. Racism in the U.S., Canada, and U.K., and other, you know, mostly white countries, I'd say, falls under the white supremacy umbrella. But they are not the same thing. People say racism and white supremacy um, and inter use the words interchangeably, and they're not quite the same thing. Um, people should also know that there is racism and colorism amongst communities of color. Um, so white supremacy is a broader term than simple racism or bigotry or hate. It's the belief that white people or whiteness is superior to all, every, everybody else, especially um, historically the black race, uh, and should therefore dominate society. It appears all over the world, as I said, and is manifested in you know, um, science, medicine, um, history, um, social institutions, economic institutions, and justice systems. So hmm. just wanted to uh, mention. Yeah. So now let's get back into the timeline. Splish, splash. <laughs> so the movement developed a hierarchy of visionaries topped with Merwende. Behind her was Kibuteri and former priests who served as theologians, and they explained their messages. Although the group had split from the Catholic Church, they had Catholic icons placed prominently and defrocked priests and nuns in its leadership. And they actually thought of themselves as Catholic. Um, interesting, because it seems far from it. Now, I don't know a ton about Catholicism, but the movement, that ain't it. <laughs> in uh, by 1997, according to a filing with the government, the movement's membership was listed at nearly 5,000 people. In Western Uganda, they built houses for recruitment, indoctrination, and worship, and the primary school. In 1998, the Ugandan press reported that the school had been shut down for unsanitary conditions, and there were complaints of child labor and possibly kidnapping children. What? But nothing was done, and the government still paid for the school. So... There have been allegations of government corruption and that the cult bought favor from local officials with gifts of livestock, food, and cash. And on March 6, 1998, a woman complained to the Uganda Human Rights Commission that her mother had joined the cult and then died under mysterious circumstances. The woman wanted an investigation to be opened, but nothing was done. Interesting. December 31st, 1999 uh, had been settled on as the date for the sex predictions of the apocalypse as the new millennium, a.k.a. Y2K. Burr, 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 burr. <laughs> um, 
approached preparations for the end mounted. Adherents were told that true believers, the quote unquote new generation, would inherit the quote new earth in one year and a life of luxury awaited. Isn't that how they always get you, these cults? Yeah. You're going to get to sleep with <laughs> hundreds of virgins and the, and the streets will be paved with gold. Yeah. Everything's <laughs> going to be great after you die. It's going to be great. <laughs> In 1999, a newspaper ran a story with an interview of a teenage member. He said, the world ends next year. There is no time to waste. Some of our leaders talk directly to God. Any minute from now, when the end comes, every believer who will be at an as-yet-undisclosed spot will be saved. Okay, whatever you guys say. Yeah, you know, a lot of people thought that the world was going to end um, on Y2K okay. or that something horrible was yeah. going to happen. A lot of people were really scared. It's so silly. Yeah, even here in, yeah. Even here in the United States. Yeah. yeah, it's so silly because, you know, it's... It's it's a social construct. I mean, we just made up these years, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's it, it I cuz I remember having a conversation in in like a high school history or sociology class and um they were talking about um all the predict the Y2K predictions. Right. And I was talking to my mom about it. She was like a she was a software engineer at the time. I think she worked she worked for um like IBM or something like that. And they had software companies had been preparing for you know what this could mean for like technology um and pre preparing code yeah because the problem for... was that nobody thought ahead uh when they were um uh -huh. designing software and stuff for mm -hmm. the year 2000 everything was 19 something mm -hmm. so they weren't prepared right. for the year 2000 so they had to rework the code and stuff to include more years um, and that's all it was. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Right. But people were like getting water from Costco <laughs> and stocking up on batteries. You remember the yes, news? It was crazy. It was, it was nuts. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, anywho, and we all survived and nothing happened. Yeah. <laughs> everything was fine. I think I think, though, there was one news story where like a dude, his blockbuster like late fee or something <laughs> like was a million dollars. Okay. Well, that nutty. sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but I think they you might as well it. keep anyway. those movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially now, yeah. right? Um, <laughs> but when the world did not end, the cult members grew disgruntled and started asking questions. Where will we live? They asked. Now that we have sold our property and the world has not ended as predicted, Merwinda. <laughs> they didn't. I added that. According to one man who survived the massacre, his name was Peter Ahim Basibwe, who was 17 at the time, the people who sold their property would inquire one by one. Whoever would inquire, they would disappear. Merwinde informed the followers that the Blessed Virgin Mary would appear to deliver a message between March 6th and the 18th. And this raised the spirits of the cult members. Okay, so they're, they're still riding mm -hmm. with, with this... Um idea they're still still believers okay on march 9th 2000 the cult leadership bought 36 jerry cans of petrol at one of the petrol stations in kampala and on march 12th 2000 father kataribabo bought two 20 liter jerry cans of concentrated sulfuric acid these people are playing around supposedly for use in the batteries of the group's vehicles Oh, boy. On March 11th, 2000, Father Katari Babo sold his house and surrounding land to his nephew. And on March 15th, 2000, 
he mysteriously disappeared. Hmm. Between March 6th through the 16th, all the property of Colt was sold at rock bottom prices. Hmm. The Colt leaders claimed that they were selling the property to raise money to buy a truck and a generator. Hmm. Lies, lies, lies. Mm -hmm. Some of the followers believed they were going to heaven and they needed to cleanse themselves of whatever sins they had committed on earth. About 60 followers who had not paid their taxes did so on March 14, 2000. The followers were then told that the Blessed Holy Mary would appear to deliver a special message between March 16th and the 18th. The followers attempted to convince their loved ones to go to Kanangu for the message. There was a frantic effort to convince those who had abandoned the cult to go back, and those who did not belong to the cult were invited to at least go for a party. Yeah, hey, guys, want to come back to... uh the cold and and hang out and have party, some colas and yeah. party <laughs> and maybe die <laughs> maybe die no that's good dozens of followers converged on the kanugu compound joining hundreds that were already there on the night of march 16th the group had a pate and feasted on chicken bread and cow they slaughtered and 70 crates of coca-cola um i was just thinking this is this cult sounds like it's a dry cult yeah, yeah. I'd be drinking and some alcohol. <laughs> I know, I know. You want me to go out like completely sober? No, and then um do you remember Wild Country with the Rashmish? Mm -hmm. Yeah. How they would let them drink like one or two beers a day or you know, some like something. Yeah, to keep they the were actually happy. giving them alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, that that sounds this better. This not for me is what <laughs> I'm know. saying. Not for me either. <laughs> also no sex. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of down, a lot of yeah, downfalls to this not, one. Not real <laughs> into this cult, no. <laughs> no thanks. Yeah, it wouldn't be for me. It's no. a no for me, dog. No, a uh, hard no. <laughs> 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 so also on March 16th, a parcel from Kanungu arrived at the home of Kibwateri's family. It contained books and documents from the cult, its certificate of registration, a copy of the Ten Commandments of the cult, and other items. All was sent, the family believes, by Joseph Kibwateri. Investigators believe that on the morning of March 17th, Marinde summoned the followers into the Ark. And that's what they called the church. And it had been lined with 68 jerry cans. Um, and this is the third time I've said this word. And so I was like, what the fuck does that mean? A jerry can <laughs> is a large, one-sided metal container for storing or transporting liquids like gas or water. Um, and in this case, they were filled with gasoline. Cult leaders then boarded up the doors and windows. Thanks, guys. It is thought that the cult members believed that they were finally entering Noah's Ark to survive the three days of the apocalypse. And they also believe that the boards were to protect them and keep out the unredeemed. It's also possible that they were given drugs or that they were poisoned with a communion wine or something like that uh, to keep them docile. It's hard to say mm -hmm. because yeah. then uh, somebody set the place on fire. Right. Probably. Um, yeah. I, they, there had to have been some way to keep these people, you know, from like fighting or revolting or, you know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe that's just telling them that they're going to be safe in there uh, was enough to keep them docile uh, or, you know, they could have been drugged. I don't know. Hard to say. You know what, this is unrelated, but this reminds me of that scene in The Lion King when Scar's like, your daddy's got a surprise for you. And oh, he goes yeah. down into the gorge. 
Yeah. Like, no, 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 just wait. (laughs) That might be Uh, how how they That's the worst part. So now we're going to dive into the investigation. So at 12.45 p.m., the police station at Rukungiri, the headquarters for the area, received a radio call. The call was from an officer in Kambuga, a couple villages from Kanungu, and the nearest one with a police post. There had been a fire at the headquarters of the Kibutere group, the officer reported, and there were people dead. Only as villagers and police officers descended on this smoldering building did the scale become apparent. The remains of the hundreds of people, mostly their bones and in some cases only their ashes, lay massed at Mm. one end of the chapel. Virtually no one could be positively identified, and by Monday night they had all been buried together in a grave alongside their wrecked church. At first, it was assumed that the Kanugu massacre was a mass suicide by the members of the cult who were convinced about going to heaven through fire, But later, it was established that it was a well-planned murder orchestrated by the cult leaders. The victims of the Inferno also included children too young to make independent decisions. Um, That kind of reminds me of, which is the one where they drank the Kool-Aid? Jonestown. Yeah, Yeah, they were like attacking them and injecting them with poison. Yeah, yeah, the ones who wouldn't drink it, they would inject them. Yeah, Um, that's horrible. Mm -hmm. Just the, the pictures of all the... The bodies and uh, horrible. Yeah. Did you know one out of six couples struggle with infertility, including old Whitey and me? Seriously, that is a staggering statistic that most people don't know or aren't ready to talk about. We need good data and information about our bodies in order to have informed conversations with our doctors and make the best decisions for ourselves and our futures. Good data and information about our bodies is crucial when it comes to our body autonomies, especially in the year of our Lord 2022. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's why Modern Fertility was created. It's an easy and affordable way to test your fertility hormones at home with a simple finger prick. Mail it in with a prepaid label and you'll get your personalized results within 10 days. Traditional testing can cost over $1,000, but Modern Fertility gets you the same info at a fraction of the price. And if you go to modernfertility.com fruit, you can get $20 off your test. Also, and this is really cool, mm. if you have an HSA or an FSA, you can put those dollars towards Modern Fertility. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Now, if you want kids today, or in the future, never or are undecided. It's important to have clinically sound information about your body, which can help you make the decision that's right for you. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com fruit. That means your test will cost $179 instead of the hundreds or thousands it could cost at a doctor's office. Get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com fruit. That's modernfertility.com fruit. Netflix mm. needs to make a documentary about this. Yeah. Get at it. Get, go on Netflix. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, get on that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So after the fire, officials were drawn to a stench coming from a latrine pit. There they discovered the bodies of six men, partly dissolved in sulfuric acid. Oh, no. Five had been poisoned to death and one was killed with a blow to the head. In the weeks mm. that followed police began searching for more bodies and they discovered four mass graves at different branch compounds of the cult. Oof. In all, almost a thousand bodies were counted, 
Nobody knows the exact number, but it exceeded the 914 members of the Reverend Jim Jones cult who died in Jonestown, Guyana in 1978. Except for the people who had died in the fire, the majority of the dead cult members were determined to have been poisoned. And the ones who did not die fast enough had been beaten to death. Holy shit. Yeah. Prisoners were used to excavate the bodies until that fact was discovered. And then the government had to stop using them. Mm. The government uh, eventually suspended exhumation, and most likely, if they had not, the body count would have been even higher. Mm -hmm. The Ugandan government knows that there are more graves and bodies, but there just aren't enough resources to investigate further. That's really unfortunate. Um, and it, normally on our show, we try to um, say the victims' names and any information, share any information that we know about them but there's just so, so many, many and they, yeah. they, there's no way we could get through get to it but rest in power to all those people who lost their lives yeah. it is believed that when the apocalypse kept being delayed the leaders just brought it about themselves others claim the group's followers were killed so that the leaders could take the money and run one other theory is that Terry had died either of aids or by Mirinde's hand or by her instructions and without this male authority figure she knew that the cult would not be able to go on so now we're going to get into where are they now? What do you got, Beth? Well, after interviews and an investigation were conducted, the police ruled out suicide, like you said. And instead, they mm -hmm. consider it to be a mass murder conducted by the movement leadership. They believe that the failure of the doomsday prophecy led to the revolt in the ranks of the sect. And the leaders set a new date with a plan to eliminate their followers. They say that the discovery of the bodies at the other sites, the fact that the church had been boarded up before it was set ablaze, the presence of incendiaries, and the possible disappearance of sect leaders all point to this theory. Additionally, witnesses said the movement leadership had never spoken of mass suicide when preparing members for the end of the world. Hmm. Although it was initially assumed that the five leaders had died in the fire, police now believe that Joseph Kipwateri and Credonia Mirwende may still be alive, mm. and they have issued an international warrant for their arrest. And in 2014, it was announced by the Uganda National Police that there had been reports that Kibwateri was hiding in Malawi. But no person alive has been found liable and fit for the prosecution over the cult's activities. Liable and fit for prosecution. Yeah. Does that mean they're too old or too sick? Or, uh, you know, legally insane or I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'm not really sure, but that's what I read. Okay. Well, fatigue, hunger, and faith led to blind obedience. Katerina Nansana, a 72-year-old woman expelled from the cult, said, I believed living that way would save me. I had sores on my feet, my arms, my legs, but I didn't care. I believed that what I was doing was right. Another former cult member, Mary Kasambi, said, Credonia would say, today we are going to dig for one week, and we would. Today we are not going to eat for three days, and we wouldn't. Kasambi left the cult in 1997 after she saw her four young children foraging for grasshoppers to eat. Oh, my goodness gracious. Hey, speaking of eating grasshoppers, on vacation we had... um. Barbecue flavored crickets. Did you really? They weren't bad at all. I've yeah. heard that. Well, you know, a lot of people actually do in other countries eat insects. Yeah. But um, uh, they just so they uh, they gross me out so much. I don't know if I could do it. <laughs> well, I don't know if you've heard about this global warming problem. I know. So I better get used to insects. We all better 
used to eating bugs. Yeah, better get used to it. Uh, or, you know, maybe I'll just die. <laughs> You're so great. <laughs> you know, sometimes I think about, You're like, so- if if I was starving to death, would I cannibalize people? I'm like, yeah, I'd be totally down for that. But insects, no. <laughs> Whoa, that's a hot take, Beth, if I'd ever heard one. Oh, my God. (laughs) But in in reality, I probably would eat insects. I'd probably eat whatever I could. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Really, once you try it, because they have them at those little novelty shops on the the, like Route 66 or, you know, at the fair. I had a chocolate-covered scorpion. Oh, my God. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Oh, oh. Really I just got the heebie-jeebies <laughs> really bad. <laughs> yeah, no, it's considering I just killed two scorpions this oh, evening in front of my house. Yeah. So anyway, oh, la, la. Um, <laughs> it, it's like me, it's me like turning the tables. Yeah, you know, like when you eat one at the fair, like oh yeah, you, yeah. How do you like it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, so people who knew Marinde have said greed was the driving force in her life. She was never as happy as when she was making money, said her ex-husband, Eric Mazima. Over the years, police say murder became a tool she used to accumulate wealth and to silence potential accusers. And none of the cult's hoarded cash was ever found. Also, she's she's probably sitting somewhere pretty then. And she's still alive. Interesting. Interesting. Family members and acquaintances said escaping with her followers' money would not have been enough for Merende. They believe that she needed to eliminate anyone who knew her secrets. Killing her flock would have done that, and making it look like a collective suicide would have prevented her from being suspected of mass murder. She's got some splaining to do. Mm-hmm. She does get found. Terry's son, uh, Juvenal Ragumbwa, has said, I hate my father. If he has escaped and I meet him, I wouldn't hesitate killing him. Whoa, shots fired, bruh. Yikes. (laughs) I don't blame him. Yeah, I don't either. Following the incident, Uganda Human Rights Commission set up a team to assess the possible causes and the human rights implications of the tragedy. Article 52.2 of the Constitution of Uganda requires that the Uganda Human Rights Commission shall publish reports on its findings and submit annual reports on the state of human rights and freedom in the country. And we'll post a link to that report in our footnotes. Yeah, good call. So that's it for the investigation and arrest. Now we're going to get into what made her snap and our takeaways. So hit it, Beth. (laughs) So I I think she really liked the attention and the power that she had over the people. Um, I don't know Mm -hmm. if she's alive or dead, but either one would not surprise me. But to have to give up all of that attention and power to go live a life in obscurity, uh, I would think that would be really excruciating for someone who who enjoyed that. Um, On the other hand, if her motives were more greed-based, maybe she did escape with the money. And since the money was never found, I don't know, why did they sell everything and get all that money? Um, right. If they weren't going to take off. Maybe that it. was part of her plan. All yeah. Yeah. If they left, I'm sure it was. But, you know, they, yeah. they wouldn't get all that money just to burn it up, would they? I don't know. Maybe they would. But it, it's you know, something to think about. Yeah. And when I think of other incidents like this, like uh, Jonestown or Waco, 
the leaders always go down with the ship. Mm-hmm. And I don't think she could give up all that power and attention. So if she did escape into the Congo, like some people believe, I think that she would probably be gathering up more followers. Um, so I think it would be really hard for her to, to hide. But I, I don't know. Um, it's a it's a weird one. Maybe she started a, a multi level marketing company. Oh somewhere. yeah, maybe she's <laughs> yeah. Got selling power. Amway or something. Because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, she's she was good at acquiring followers. Yeah, so. she was. Yeah, know. who knows? <laughs> she's selling her some Lularoe. <laughs> yeah, Lularoe. Um, <laughs> but um, she started more fires than anybody else I know. Uh, she she set two people's houses on fire, I think, or her husband's stuff on fire, and then she she burned she burned something else down, and then she burned down this church. That's a lot of fire. Banana plantation, her uncle's banana plantation banana or something like that. Yeah, so that's a lot of fires, okay. Uh, and then another interesting thing I thought was this this occurred after Jim Jones, Jonestown, and after the Roshnish, I believe, with that crazy ass lady, <laughs> Sheila. And the number of this is just insane to me, only because people knew what might happen if you join a religious cult or follow a religious leader. Right. Um, and I'm baffled by people who join cults. Also, Sister Credonia Marinde must have been mesmerizing. Like, she must have been like Oprah style, like, uh, I love bread. Now join Weight Watchers. You know, the, yeah, like, like yeah. whatever she says, I'm good. Also, I don't know why, but the labor camps, I just finished The Handmaid's Tale and it reminds me of like Handmaid's Tale style rules. Gilead. Yeah. Life. Yeah. Sound like yeah. it sucked so, big time. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, what did you, were you, what were you going to say about why people join cults? Yeah, I was just going to talk about it because you were saying you were baffled by people who join cults. I am too. So I wanted to look up why people join cults. Oh, tell us. I, I don't think anybody plans to join a cult. <laughs> They're not like, oh, what cult can I join? No. <laughs> the people who join cults are usually idealistic, good people who want to live good lives mm-hmm. and make a difference in the world. And according to Kathleen Tuhill in an article she wrote for Medium called Why Do People Join Cults? It's a part of a series called How to Cult. <laughs> oh, These people think that by being with the group, they can make a difference or they will best serve God or their ideals within that group. Um, they might be going through a rough patch mm-hmm. in their life when they, they meet up with people in the group and that makes them more susceptible. They might be actively searching for mm-hmm. answers, which also makes them vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And cults provide the structure, authority, and close social contacts that can feel like both solution and purpose. So I think the people who join cults are looking for answers, looking for the truth, the truth. and and they're idealistic and they they want to help people. They're not they're not like crazy bad people. In fact, uh, reading this article and s- some other articles, um, the people who join cults are actually good people. They're uh, normal people. Mm-hmm. They might have some low self-esteem, but they're not crazy. They're just normal people. They're just looking oh. for a purpose. Like mm-hmm. a lot of, you know, some people are okay with their jobs and, and uh, you know, going to work and having families and stuff. Other people 
want to have a higher purpose. And I think these are those kinds of people. And then cults use different techniques to, to lure the people in. One is called love bombing, where they're very flattering and generous to, to their recruits. And they promise friendship and love. And the people just feel overwhelmed with love. And they, it's, it's a kind of a high. Um, And then they claim to Mm -hmm. have the answer to everything Uh, which is a simplification that can be seductive in our complicated world. You know, wouldn't it be nice if everything was simple Mm -hmm. and we didn't have to think about that much, you know, just here's the answer. All right, here we go. (laughs) Okay. I'll take it. Yeah. And then to people who, who need direction, um, they don't like to uh, be in charge or whatever. They find comfort in the rules that come with the cult and uh, they they don't have to make decisions. They don't have to, um, like some people are not very comfortable with making decisions and maybe that helps. I don't know. Uh, the cult also provides a sense of belonging and power, which might sound counterintuitive, but the people in cults um, feel like they're doing something important in the world, which makes them feel powerful. And of course, uh, they don't believe that they are in a cult. They don't they just don't. Yeah. I see. I see. Well, thank you. I am enlightened. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> so... <clears throat> If you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. (laughs) (laughs) This segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's mistakes. Sometimes we have no suggestions for a particular episode and we'll just offer up generic tips. So, um, in the last episode, we offered tips on how to avoid joining a cult. So, if you listened to part one, you already know what it is. Look alive, guys. It's crazy out here (laughs) in these streets. But um, my tip is a little more personal. So, uh, one time, ICE and the FBI raided my neighbor's house. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, I came home from a company Christmas party. Holy shit. They were... (laughs) They were all like outside my house. They're all lit. And we had, I was like, I don't want to say too much because I don't want them to be like, oh no, she's buzzed. But uh, we we had no idea what happened. And and there have been other incidents in my neighborhood, like break-ins and cars being vandalized. But when we asked the officers, you know, what was going on each time, uh, they they wouldn't tell us, but they would just say, just talk to your neighbors, man. Get to know your neighbors which I think is priceless advice. Um, The next door app can be a place for trolls and petty labels, (laughs) but it can also be a place for community members who don't have an official organization like an HOA or a neighborhood watch to stay connected and look out for one another, know what's kind of going on in the neighborhood, what to look out for. Also um, work together to keep your neighborhood clean, which sometimes I understand it's not totally in your control, but if you are in a community with your neighbors, consider collaborating and delegating sections um, and duties. Good idea. Thank you. Invite law enforcement to your community, which is uncomfortable for communities of color, I will say. But we do have a neighborhood watch in our neighborhood that um, we run as a community. And there's a, 
a specific officer who's like assigned to our housing development. And he know he knows everybody. And he is also a person of color. I think he grew up in South Phoenix. So um, he's a very nice police officer. I don't often say nice things about <laughs> police, but he's nice. And uh, if you don't have an organization, an officer can talk to you and your community about you know, like your concerns and offer, they offer crime prevention tips and work with you to keep your community safe. All you have to do is call your local police department and awesome. ask. Invite law enforcement to your community. Police departments are willing to assist and helping you with your neighborhood watch. And sometimes just having a sign saying this is a neighborhood watch community is a way to keep your home and its occupants and your neighborhood safer. Um, also, we always talk about having your head on a swivel, be aware of your surroundings, but please do not call the police on a POC for no goddamn reason. Like if they're just trying to get into their house, <laughs> leave those people alone <laughs> and uh, invest in a home alarm system. Simply Safe is the most affordable that I've seen. They're not a sponsor yet, but get at me, Simply Safe. <laughs> I sent you those emails. But even having a signage with a fake system is effective. And you could also buy fake signs at like a hardware store like Ace or Lowe's or Home Depot. So cool. that's all I got. Right on. So um, now we are going to get into some serial killer or true crime news. So hit it, Beth. <laughs> okay. So I am late to this party, but this is one of the weirdest stories I have ever heard. <laughs> okay. My ears just hurt. <laughs> So, basically, the story is this. A married couple named Peter and Cusey Chadwick, one day they did not pick up their kids from the bus stop. A neighbor found the kids. Okay. They thought it was weird that they didn't pick them up, so the police were called. They went into the house. It appeared that something had happened in there, and the Chadwicks were missing. Okay. And then the next morning, Peter Chadwick called 911 and he claimed that a couple of Mexican guys had killed his wife, QC, and then kidnapped him, taking QC's body with them. And then for some reason, they just let him go at the border of Mexico and took off with QC's body, which they were apparently going to dismember in Mexico. <laughs> Sir. You can listen to the 911 call. It is bonkers. <laughs> And this is no surprise, but it's likely that Peter Chadwick was lying <laughs> and that oh, he killed God. his wife. <laughs> oh, Lord. Yeah. When they picked him up okay. at the border, he had scratches all over him like he'd been in a fight. And they eventually found Cusey's body nowhere near Mexico. <laughs> So they arrested Peter Chadwick and then uh, they let him out on bond and he disappeared. <gasps> <laughs> and they had been looking for him for the past four years. Shut the and they just found him last week living in Mexico. So they got him. They <gasps> got him. But uh, yeah, pretty weird story. That is, I've never heard of the story, but that is wild. I know. Do I have to guess if Peter Chadwick is white, black, or brown? <laughs> you don't have to, but I think you probably know. <laughs> I have a sneaky suspicion. It's a white dude. <laughs> that he is yeah. white. <laughs> yeah, uh, and just the, the lying, wow. for it just fascinates me when people lie like that, like, uh, Casey Anthony and um, what Jody mm -hmm. Arias and just like just 
the bald face lying and and they just go they keep going with it at like people are eventually gonna buy it like eventually you guys are gonna believe me right <laughs> sure yeah well some people do get away with they do, in this but, country. Uh, um, not this guy i don't think speaking of murder i don't have any news but i did want to ask you do you think that Jeffrey Epstein killed himself? Um, I haven't looked into it enough to to make a, a determination, but uh, I I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to say, huh? I know there's a lot of conspiracy theories out there, <laughs> and I'm not big on conspiracy theories. I think the most simple explanation is probably what's true so i tend to think he did commit suicide but i'm not saying that it's not possible that somebody killed him i just not mm-hmm. not big mm-hmm. into conspiracy theories he had a lot of information yeah, on a lot of did. people he did that's <laughs> true so I don't, I don't know well i don't, I, I really don't know either i'm just curious what the what the og <laughs> of true crime had to say about it i haven't looked into it <laughs> i, ha- it I need first. to read more oh. about it i haven't looked into it enough i'm too busy watching documentaries about peter chadwick <laughs> <laughs> there's a documentary well it was like on 48 hours and then i listened to some podcasts i went oh, into oh. a black hole on this because i was just like fascinated <laughs> Like what the fuck? This is wild. This is like this is like a juicy story. It may, it like makes my mouth water. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, so now we're gonna get into the shout out portion of our show, where we shout out any content by people of color or about people of color, any marginalized groups or true crime goodies. So I found many good things on Netflix today, and I'll let you talk about the other thing, but. Um, I wanted to shout out They Ready on Netflix, <laughs> and uh, it was created by Tiffany Haddish. Uh, we all know she's a famous black comedian, um, and uh, she handpicked six diverse comedians to showcase their raw ass humor in a series of special specials oozing with energy. It, it's fucking hilarious. The stars are Tracy Ashley, Flame Monroe, who's a trans woman. Aida Rodriguez, who's a black Latinx, an Afro-Latinx woman. April Macy, I think she's a white lady. Marlo Williams and Shantae Wayans. Yeah, that Wayans. Tiffany Haddish had a really rough life. And she she used to go on tour with these women and be like, we're going to make it. I know we're going to make it. And when when we do, I'm going to I'm going to throw a rope and uh, I'm going to pull you guys up with me. Wow. And cool. that's exactly what she's done. He took a huge ass pay cut wow. to make this with Netflix. Um, but. I think it will have a really lasting impact because now this is the business model. We, you know, I've talked to Beth before about how like my vision for this podcast is like someday I'll be in a position to help like a young, a younger person or somebody else who wants to do this kind of thing, come up and show them how to do it. And that's exactly what Tiffany Haddish has done. These women are hilarious, very diverse. Again, they got a trans woman, Latinx, black, LGBTQ, female, and one white lady, but that's okay. <laughs> but it's it's super funny. All right. So check it out. It's on Netflix. Cool. Stay ready. What do you got, Beth? Uh, well, I'm just going to shout out also a show on uh, Netflix, Mindhunter Season 2. Did you finish it? I totally binged it. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and I've I've mentioned this before, but the character of Holden Ford is based on a real person, John Douglas, uh, who's an FBI profiler. And his book, 
of the same name, Mindhunter, about starting the FBI Behavioral Science Unit. Now, his book is nonfiction, but the TV show, the personal lives of the characters in the story, like Holden and his partner and the um, scientist. Yeah, yeah. They're they're all uh, made up. Um, but the criminals and the crimes are true and the, the actors are so good. Uh, and, and I like that they're all um, relatively unknown actors. Well, I thought the guy who played Holden was in Hamilton. They're not like real famous is what I mean. I see. I see. I love the attention to detail. The time period is around the time when I was a teenager and it feels so true to that time period. This, oh, awesome. All the stuff, like the station wagons, the clothes, the cable boxes on the TV, <laughs> all the smoking, and yeah. the music's great. And uh, this season is particularly good because it focuses on the Atlanta child murders, mm -hmm. which was a series of murders of black children in, in well, Atlanta. <laughs> so there's a lot about race in the story, and I'm pretty sure you guys are going to love it. So yeah. Get I'm already. I, I saw. I saw your recommendation in the doc this week, and I was like, I'm gonna have to get at that show. And I just started watching <laughs> it today. I'm on like episode three, but I am just in love. It is so good. Yeah. So thank you, Beth. You're welcome. So, um, where can the people find us? Our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod, and our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod, and links to our sources will be in our footnotes. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash app, which you can download to your phone or you can find online at cash.me forward slash dollar sign Fruit Loops Pod, or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page. This helps us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There's no minimum and no commitment. Even a dollar would help. We also have merch on our website now at fruitloopspod.com forward slash merch. That's right. Now, listen up close, y'all. This is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, guys. It's crazy out there. Redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to chumbacasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects.